Hello, this is Garrett Ashley Mullet, host of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM, and also chief editor and writer at On the Rocks blog since 2015. I have just published my first book. It is available on paperback and Kindle from Amazon.com right now. Are you thinking about homeschooling? Is someone you know considering it? No shortage of books will help you figure out how to do it. This is a book about why you should. Written from the perspective of a homeschooling father of seven who was himself homeschooled growing up, this is an encouragement to fathers and mothers to think rightly about their children's education. What our children believe about God, themselves, one another, and the universe, these are all features of their education, and the worldview our children develop is downstream of the sort of education they receive. And this is why we homeschool. Maybe you are a parent of homeschooling children and you could use some encouragement. Perhaps your local school shut down and now remote learning or homeschooling has been forced on you. Now you could use some help finding motivation to make the best of it. Or maybe you have a friend or family member considering homeschooling their children. Rather than starting you off with another home education how-to, let us start with why we homeschool. And as we figure out the reasons we should do this thing, the way to do it will be made far easier. Just go right on over to Amazon.com and type in, and this is why we homeschool in the search results. It'll come right up. Order your copy today. You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am, as always, your host, Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today is January 18th, 2021. This is episode 74 of this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of things in no particular order, all of them having to do with the will to fight, which must be the precondition for not despairing, not giving up, not going with the crowd, not jumping on bandwagons, not giving in to nonsense. So part of the impetus for this topic comes from an article I read in the American Conservative this morning. It was sent to me by my neighbor, J.P. Chavez. Thanks again, J.P., for sending this to me. And the article was uh, written two days ago by Bradley Anderson. Bradley writes in his article titled Why Men Fight about a book by Michael Walsh called Last Stands, Why Men Fight When All Is Lost. That book is available on Audible. I will note, I looked it up. I've got it added to my wish list. Unfortunately, I only realized that I wanted to read this book, listen to this book, after I had already added River of Doubt, which is a book about how Theodore Roosevelt dealt with having lost his final bid for president when he ran uh, with his own party as a spoiler against Woodrow Wilson and uh, Taft. But this book, Why Men Fight When All Is Lost, Last Stands by Michael Walsh, looks very, very interesting. The premise is that we should take note of why men decide to put their lives on the line and even lay their lives down such as in the case of the 300 Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. 
Why do men choose to do this? Well, the reason is very simple. Men do this because they are trying to protect their homes. If they don't have wives and they don't have children, typically men don't see a reason to fight. If they don't have any intention of ever having wives or ever having children, men typically don't see a reason to fight. But if they either now or in the future have wives and children, at least in their imagination, if not in reality just yet, and they perceive that their homeland, their way of life, their liberty, their individuality, their culture, their posterity is on the line, men will fight. And this is instinctive, and this is a hallmark of Western civilization that men have volunteered to fight and to lay their lives down like the 300 Spartans did at Thermopylae. So why do they do this? Is this a good thing? What can we learn from it? I think it's worth checking out the book. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'll let you know how it goes once I'm finished with it. Right now, what we're dealing with in America is a crisis of identity, a crisis of confidence, which is boiling over into two very, very different possible futures working themselves out, vying for control. It does appear as though Joe Biden will be inaugurated the 46th president of the United States come Wednesday. That is the plan anyways. And thousands of National Guardsmen are in Washington, D.C., ready to protect that ceremony from protesters at best, rioters at worst, or even insurrectionists, depending on who you talk to. So why is this important? Well, it's important because Joe Biden is believed by many, many Republicans to have stolen the 2020 election by fraud. Now, of course, he didn't do this single-handedly. If he did, in fact, steal it, he had a lot of help. And there is something to be said for the processes that we have in place being circumvented or vetoed in a certain sense by people that were officials high and low, if indeed fraud did swing the election in favor of the Democratic candidate, possibly, probably, almost certainly soon to be president of the United States. But when so much of the country believes that this election was stolen and they believe that their person, their guy that they voted for, who should have won fair and square and maybe didn't, is not going to be president for four more years like they were expecting and like they believe he should be, they might have something to say about it. But the problem here in the past week with what Facebook and Twitter and Amazon and Apple and Google the biggest tech companies in the world all conspired together to do is that the primary platform online for that segment of the American public who believes this election was stolen to talk about their frustrations and what we're going to do moving forward, that platform was erased. It was abolished. It was taken down from the internet. And so it really does beg the question of if these persons were expected to peacefully protest, how are they supposed to do that if they are not even allowed to complain about what happened online? How are they supposed to object to what happened if they don't even have a platform where they can freely do so? Because of COVID, they can't go out in public in mass and complain about these things. Then you add to that the fact that Antifa and Black Lives Matter 
and the radical mainstream media that loves Democrats and progressives and globalists and hates flyover country so-called and conservative Americans and Christians. All of these forces work together to stymie, to malign, to demonize when conservatives protest peacefully, when they object, when they, to use the phrase, all of us who have had children and have small children will relate to, use their words. When my child complains that his sibling has stolen a toy that he was playing with, when my child complains that his seat was stolen or that she's being picked on by her brother, when my child comes to me and says, Dad, I'm being treated wrongly, they may or may not be in the right. They may or may not be thinking rightly about it. They might be emoting. They might be telling the truth. They might be trying to get their sibling in trouble because they are actually the one that wants something that doesn't rightfully belong to them. But what do I say if my child goes off and hits their sibling, takes matters into their own hands, shoves their sibling into the wall or onto the floor, punches, kicks, throws something at their sibling? What do I say? I say, use your words. Use your words. Did you try talking with them about that first? Did you try coming to your mother or I first? If you didn't, why didn't you? You need to learn to use your words. This is not how we handle conflicts. But what sort of a recourse is left to the part of the country, a major part of this country, a significant amount of this population in America? What recourse is left to those people, those millions and tens of millions of people who belong to this country, whose country this is, if they are not even allowed to use their words. And then what is left to them if when they get a bit rowdy after having watched the other side be the favorite child, the golden child who can do no wrong, even when they're setting fire to private property, even when they're assaulting citizens, fellow men, women, and children, even when they're threatening and harassing anybody who doesn't uh, you know, goose step right alongside them and repeat after me, Black Lives Matter or defund the police or whatever. These supporters of the 45th president of the United States get upset and they object and they show up to protest. And some of them somehow get into the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. and destroy some property and rough some people up and some people even lose their lives. But then the whole lot of them, even those that were peacefully protesting, are told, you can't fly home. We're going to get you fired. If we find who you are and we know where you live and we know where you work, we're going to get you fired, even if you showed up to peacefully protest. And if you even just agreed with the narrative, if you just agreed with the premise, we're going to get you fired. We're going to get you disbarred. We're going to bully and intimidate and terrorize you and your family. We're going to destroy you. That, to me, sounds an awful lot like a last stand coming. Because what you've done is you've pushed these people onto death's ground. And if you would read Robert Greene's book about strategies of war, you would know that men never fight as hard as they do when they are on death's ground. This is why the D-Day Normandy uh, beach invasion 
in World War II was so successful because there was no opportunity to jump in the boats and go right back across the English Channel and escape if it wasn't going well. It was either take the beach, seize those machine gun nests, capture those Germans, seize the day, conquer, win, or die. And when you're faced with a choice like that, you have to put all of your eggs into the basket of trying to win. There is no retreat. In the case of the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae, there was no retreat. They were on death's ground, and they happened to be exceptional fighters. So they took a lot of Persians with them into the afterlife. They happened to have allies as well from lesser uh, famed city-states of Greece. And ultimately, what they did was not win the day. They did not win the battle. They killed a lot of their enemies. They stalled for time for the rest of Greece, for the rest of the Greek city-states to get their act together, to see what an existential threat this was, to coordinate, to muster troops, to get supplies together, to gather for a more decisive battle which did defeat the Persians in the coming days, weeks, months. And so what is it that we're headed for in the case of American politics? At a certain point, politics breaks down. And historically, war was not seen as a breakdown of diplomacy. It was seen as one of the mechanisms of diplomacy. If one country is demanding something of another country and the other country says, nope, you can go take a flying leap, you can go fly a kite, you can pound sand, then what do you do? There's no third party that's going to intervene and say, nope, this is how it is. There was no United Nations until after World War II. There was no League of Nations until after World War I. And so what did people do? What did nations do? They went to war against one another. What did one half of a country do when the other half of the country was refusing to abide by a certain standard? Well, they went to war. So what we're headed for, I think, and a lot of other people think this as well, I'm in good company. This is not just me speculating. I have said this for years because I've seen this coming for years, but more and more credible mainstream persons are saying this as well which makes me feel not quite so lonesome and not quite so odd, we are headed for a civil war of one form or fashion sooner or later because we have two halves of the country that despise, utterly loathe, detest, and distrust, more to the point, one another. And we don't have the basis for healthy, productive communication moving forward. We don't have shared meaning for words, for instance. One side will say something that seems perfectly respectable, respectful, reasonable, and the other side loses its mind saying things are microaggressions and white supremacy and racism and patriarchy and all kinds of weird phobias that are manipulative efforts to shut up anybody who is saying something they don't like, somebody who has something that they do want. And so what we have is we have two halves of the country that can't stand one another. And what will have to happen is either a knockdown drag out, which is decisive, in which one side wins and prevails over the other, or we're going to have to have a national divorce in which one half of the country goes to its corner and the other half goes to its corner because we have irreconcilable differences. Now, I realize one caveat with all of this is that with God, all things are possible. So, of course, God could supernaturally intervene and he could save this country from dividing in two, breaking itself apart, destroying 
itself, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we all know how much God loves America. And we've prayed and we've sang for years and years and years, God bless America. So how could he let this happen? Well, the fact of the matter is, coming from a divorced family, from divorced parents, when I was just right at the cusp of teenage years, it doesn't come down to, can God intervene? It comes down to, will he? And should he? And does he need to? The fact of the matter is that God does give us the opportunity to choose. And some might argue, based on how theologically savvy they are, that we will choose what is in our nature to choose, or we don't really have a free choice. We are going to choose based on a wicked, sinful nature. And so everything is preordained and foreordained and forechosen and foreknown. And that is a conversation for another day. But I will say, broadly speaking, it is impossible to disagree that God allows people to do bad things, to do stupid things, and that empires rise and fall throughout all of human history. Our empire, our country, is no necessary exception. God has not promised that he was going to hold our country together. Our country almost broke apart back in the mid-19th century under Abraham Lincoln. And there's no reason whatsoever to suppose that it can't do it again and this time successfully and this time long term. But there are a couple of possibilities for how this might work out instead. So let's list them real quick. One possibility is that conservatives get squashed. And when I say squashed, I mean that big tech and big money and big pharma and the educational establishment and the deep state and all of these forces are typically led by, run by, people of the left. So unless those people have a change of heart and they become really, really disturbed by the things that they're seeing and they suddenly decide that they want to back conservatives or they want to pull back their support from the progressive side of the country, they would be on the side of the left. So that's point number one, is that that being the case, the deck is stacked very much against us and except for supernatural intervention, which we should not count on, although we can pray for it, the strength of the left is very imposing. It is very formidable based on the way that the modern world works. Now that said, the right typically has more conventional weaponry. We have a lot more guns. We have a lot more ammunition. We have a lot more veterans. We have a lot more people who have served in law enforcement we have a lot more people who know how to handle themselves in a fight. We'll just put it that way. And when they handle themselves in a fight, they're not typically just complaining and emoting and doing a sit-in, smashing some windows and crying. We're talking about people that know how to kill or be killed because they've had to do it before. You have a lot more hunters on the right in conservative America. You have a lot more people that know how to make their way around rough terrain and navigate so good luck to the side that doesn't know which bathroom to use if we get into a civil war and they are up against the half of the country that has hundreds of millions of guns and God only knows how much ammunition once you count reloading and things that people have been squirreling away in their basements and their root cellars and their connexes for years and years. <laughs> Thank you.
So what could happen is that the left brings its best and the right brings its best. And it should be noted that the left is not without guns and the right is not without technology and commerce and know-how in that regard. But it could be that we have a very odd kind of conflict, kind of fight, that it is a physical fight. It's also an asymmetrical war because we live in the modern era. And so you have utilities being shut off. You have systems being hacked. You have people being uh, locked out of communications means, uh, conventional communications means, although everybody should realize that uh, big tech can't just turn off your Facebook account for those that are on the right when many on the right don't even have Facebook. They got rid of their Facebook some time ago because it was just nonsense. It was complete hogwash and they recognized it early on. So they found other ways of communicating and syncing up a long, long time ago. So what could happen is we have a fight and the left brings its best and the right brings its best and it's a tie. It could be we each carve out our own separate parts of this country and that's what it is, right? This happened in ancient Israel. Israel split in two and you had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah because there was a contest. There was a disagreement. There was a parting of the ways as far as which direction the whole country, the whole people should go. There couldn't be two mutually exclusive options, two mutually exclusive rulers and sets of uh, values at the same time. And so two halves of the country went their separate ways. And that was a kind of judgment. And so also, if we all of a sudden have a national divorce between one half of the country and the other, that will be a kind of judgment. And it will be unpleasant. And it will be a setback. And it will change the whole chessboard for the world moving forward in the decades to come, especially with an ascendant China. You're going to see other powers rise up, work together and coalitions form to try and deal with China. And meanwhile, we might be just completely sidelined and we might just beat ourselves and one another into the dirt. Or we might have one side win. You might have the side with all the guns and the bullets that knows which bathroom to use win over the side that is really good at being a keyboard warrior, but not so great in a real fight. So that could happen. And then this becomes a conservative country and it will probably not be a conservative country like you think of during the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, because this is not that time. This is not that people. Things have progressed and changed a bit, even though human nature at its core is different in no measure than what it was. The way it expresses itself now, the ways that it works itself out has changed a little bit with the advent of technology. So you could have the right win, potentially. Certainly the right would like to think that it can win, and the left can't even imagine that, although they're clearly afraid of something. Otherwise, they would not be cracking down on free speech among conservatives as hard as they are. The other possibility is that the left, having dominated big tech and Silicon Valley, and they have the coasts, and they have trade routes, and they have all of these things in place, and they have the deep state, and they've been building a surveillance system for the American public for some time now and being underhanded as they are, that perhaps they win out and perhaps they crush those in the middle of the country. And we in the middle of the country become little more than serfs, little more than helots, little more than 
slaves, an underclass, a second-class citizen. All of a sudden, it is the Hutus and the Tutsis, but in this case, it is whether you were for or against Trump that decides you and your descendants' fate for generations to come. That is a possibility. That's an unpleasant possibility. I don't like it, but it is a possibility. Another possibility is that we get to fighting amongst ourselves and a foreign power says, hmm, interesting, while they're divided, I think I'll take them both. And they swoop in and maybe they ally themselves with with one half or the other that wants more to win than to hold on to the country once this is all over. They want to see their enemy destroyed more than they want to see this country persist and endure in any recognizable fashion. And so maybe, just maybe, China is invited in. Maybe Russia, of all places, is invited in. Who knows, right? There's another possibility, though, and that is that this all dials back a little bit, that you have, as upset as conservatives are, you have them simmer down. You have cooler heads prevail. You have, among conservatives, some chatter, some conversations, some soul-searching, and they say, you know what? They took parlor down really easily, really quickly. They are talking about taking away degrees from Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. AOC is calling for both of those United States senators to resign. And also Kevin McCarthy. And so maybe what we need to do is we need to get to work on building a parallel economy. And maybe, just maybe, we let the country that either voted in the majority for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris or else allowed fraud to be perpetrated in stealing the election by them, for them. And we conservatives take after Atlas Shrugged and we just shrug. We say, okay, you know what? That's what you want. If you want to be an infant, you want to be a child about this, go ahead and stick the fork in the electrical socket. See if I care. Yep, it inconveniences me. There's a cost, but I'm doing the cost-benefit analysis, and I'd rather you suffer the consequences and I still have a country, and maybe in four more years, you're open to reason. And that could be a possibility, right? And maybe you have a lot of people that have been so hateful towards Trump that they didn't realize what they were empowering, what they were feeding for the past four years. And then they see conservatives back off, and they see Biden and Harris implement a radical agenda, and they say, you know what? This is not what we signed up for. This is crazy town. This is bananas. And maybe, just maybe, that has to be the wake-up call after all of the pleading, after all of the arguing and the shouting and the upset. Maybe, just maybe, this is the bed that's been made, and it has to be laid in. I'm not Nostradamus. I am not here to tell you I've got a word from the Lord. I don't know what's going to happen. I will tell you this. If this country breaks in two, I'm moving my family and I to the part of the country that is for liberty and that abides by Romans 13 most faithfully. If I can get back to Montana, I would bet you Montana will be part of that country. If we become two countries, I want to go with the side of the country 
that loves the Founding Fathers and loves the Declaration of Independence, loves the United States Constitution, loves the Bill of Rights, loves Christianity, that loves the sanctity of life because even a baby in the womb is made in God's image, that believes in not canceling people because they had a different idea, that believes in not celebrating sexual perversion, not promoting pedophilia, not indoctrinating our children to be little Marxists. I'm going to move me and my family to that country, God willing. If this country is allowed to peacefully separate, I will cheer it on, and then we can have both sides do what they please. They can have their bed and lay in it, and we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it works for them. We'll see how it works for us. We'll see who's better off in 10, 20, 30 years. If this country descends into civil war, I don't know what I'll do. I'm not above fighting. If there's an opportunity to fight in a way that does not make my wife and children more vulnerable than less, if there's an opportunity to secure my children and my wife by fighting, then I believe before God I can have a clear conscience fighting and may God deliver my enemies into my hands. But that said, we need to be led by God's spirit and by his word in the days that come, whichever of these scenarios, or if there's a completely other scenario or some combination of the above, we need to be led by God's word and by his spirit in the things that we do, in the things that we say. Let God empower us. If we wait on him, those that wait upon the Lord will find their strength renewed. Even youths faint and grow weary, but they that wait upon the Lord will find their strength renewed. And so we wait on the Lord. I think it's wise for us to sell our cloak, to buy a sword if we don't have one. And I think it's wise to learn how to fight in case you need to. But I think first and foremost, we need to recognize that there is a very great inheritance which has been passed down to us, which we'd, we would be fools to allow to be destroyed before our eyes, to slip away without even a whimper. We should not be so quick to shrug our shoulders and say, well, these things happen. These things happen when bad men are allowed to do them and when good men are not willing to stand up and fight for what is right and to fight to protect the innocent. So that's what we need to have a mindset about. And fighting might mean literal fighting, like hand-to-hand -hand combat. It might mean pew-pew and shooting and explosions. But it has to at least mean, at least mean, spiritual warfare. It has to at least mean that we're praying to God and asking for his intervention here, that he would deliver us from the evil one, that he would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It has to at least include us being sober and vigilant for our adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It has to at least recognize that we have an adversary. We have a very real enemy that wants to destroy us. And sometimes flesh and blood, men and women, just like you and me, are taken in and they become futile in their thinking. They become wise in their own eyes. They don't fear God. They don't worship him as God. They worship the creature rather than the creator. 
Their foolish hearts are darkened, and they work on behalf of their father, the devil. But we have to work on behalf of and in obedience and faithfulness to our father in heaven if we are indeed in Christ. And so we have to get in his word. We have to pray for wisdom. We have to ask for strength for the days ahead. Make the most of the days, for the days are evil. And I think it might be a good idea to pick up Michael Walsh's Last Stands, Why Men Fight When All Is Lost. So I plan on picking it up. I plan on reading it. Thanks again, JP, for recommending the book. I'm also reading The River of Doubt, which is about Theodore Roosevelt. So we'll see. We'll see if that ends up being timely. We'll see what happens this week. But be praying for me and my family. If you would, I'll be praying for you and yours. Reach out if you have any comments, questions, concerns, objections, complaints. Otherwise, that's all I've got for you today. Thanks for listening, and God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you heard today, visit the homepage for On The Rocks blog at onthe.rocks. Also, check out On The Rocks blog podcast with Micah Hirschberger weekly on Anchor FM. If you haven't yet done so, hit subscribe to this podcast also. And you can reach Garrett Ashley Mullet with any comments, questions, or complaints at garrettmullet at gmail.com.